This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm excited to bring you all, uh, I'm going to call you the Top Gun. I mean, I saw some stuff about you today. I'm also going to call you Cujo, which we're going to get there later, but Robert Tushner, how are you doing today, Rob? Doing great, thank you. It's a beautiful day. Uh, just for a time reference, today is the day that the Blues are going to secure uh, game three in round two. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like what you're thinking there. And uh, man, speaking of that, how fun has that been watching the Oh Blues? my gosh. You talk about a turnaround. You talk about there's no way that they're going to be where they are today. Right. And now they look at times unstoppable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, you've got a heck of a story, my friend. And uh, I'm glad, uh, you know, Brian Boosking introduced the two of us. And uh, I'm glad he did that. And because now here we get to set today and get mm-hmm. to hear your story and and hopefully impact you know thousands of people with this message today. So for the people that don't know who Cujo is, uh, why don't you give us a little lay of the land? What's made you the man you are today? Yeah. Oh, that, that, so that gets kind of deep. I mean, <laughs> that goes back to the, the parenting that I was privileged to have, my mom and dad. Uh, if you just look chronologically speaking real quick, uh, Air Force Academy graduate, class of 1995, went off to pilot training, um, became an F-15 pilot, so a pilot of the airplane that was hand-assembled out here at McDonnell Douglas uh, here in St. Louis, and then was able to go to the Air Force version of Top Gun, graduate, come back, asked to come back as an instructor, uh, taught there for a couple of years, and eventually commanded an F-22 squadron, so now we're talking about the Raptor, the newest air supremacy platform that the Air Force has has put out there, Uh, and then at the culmination of a 20-year career, ended up retiring. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now you're you're writing a book, as you can see there. If you're watching this uh, on a video, you can see the book, book there, Debrief to Win. That's right. Which we'll get in and talk about. A lot about debriefing, which I'm excited to talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, so, so walk us through that. You, you had an unbelievable career. You're also a husband and father to five, right? So That's you, exactly right. You got right. me by one there. So <laughs> as, as I know it's crazy. I can't imagine a fifth one. So uh, that's nuts. But talk to us about that career. I mean, you had an unbelievable career. You uh, Thank you for your service. And I know you fought overseas and, and uh, did a lot of amazing things there. But what did, what did you learn most about actually going to war? Um, so you end up behaving the way that you train. And when things get really kind of dicey, complex, when, when you know, bad guys are, are trying to do bad things to you, you fall back on what it is that you learned along the way. And what I found was is that we train very, very well in our armed forces and particularly in the tribe that I come from in fighter aviation. We train extraordinarily well. We build mental toughness. 
we, we craft people who are interested in constantly improving themselves. Mm. And we have a capacity through all of this to be able to maintain cool under pressure, which is important when, when everything is kind of falling apart around right. you. And that coolness under pressure piece has wide application. It's not just a combat skill. Yep. It's a daily skill. Yep. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful one. Um, but th- those are among the many things that I, you know, I picked up along the way. Sure. And so we're, we'll talk more about that stuff. But I also know you have a, a cancer story. So you That's and right. I, I briefly shared our story about Swing for Hope and, and our cancer journey. And, uh, but you've got a personal one. Mm-hmm. So would you mind sharing that today? Yeah. So, um, so here it is. 2014, January, I was uh, issued a clean bill of health, told I was fit to fight, ready to go back. I was in a staff uh, assignment or a position where I was doing staff work, administrative work for about a year. Uh, But I was envisioning going back to the F-22 in very, very short order. Uh, In February, we found out that I had colorectal cancer Mm. and specifically a 10-year-old tumor that was really towards the end of the colon. So in order to take care of that, we had to, to rip out a bunch of me, which then set me back in in all areas, couldn't fly any longer, certainly couldn't fly airplanes that require pulling against the force of gravity, high G airplanes as we call them. And, um, And frankly, we were concerned about the recurrence factor and we were concerned about overall, you know, mental health and wellness of the family. And so that, that precipitated an early retirement. So I'll have cancer surgery number one in early March of 2014. Uh, that same month I'll be promoted to full Colonel. Uh, that same month I'll be called and, and asked to come back to the F 22 now in a sort of senior leadership capacity. And we'll make the decision to retire probably early June of, of 2014. So I'll, I'll become a Colonel. Um, I'll spend six months in that, mm. you know, in, in that capacity. I'll retire on the last day of 2015, just over 20 years of service. And I'll revert back to my permanent rank of Lieutenant Colonel since I didn't serve for three years, uh, in the new grade. So it was a very disruptive time. My wife was gosh, six months pregnant with our fourth child when we get the diagnosis. So now we have an international, all this stuff happens when we're in Germany. So we're overseas. We've got our mothers coming out to help us while I'm in the hospital for many, many, many weeks. Um, We change careers. We do an international move. We're not quite sure what the future is going to hold. We have a baby in the midst of all of this stuff. (laughs) We come back to St. Louis and, and we just decide to, to give phase two a try, not exactly sure what it's going to look sure. like. And so what was that journey like through the cancer? So you had your surgery mm-hmm. and uh, did you have to do chemo and radiation and all that stuff? Yeah. So I was blessed in that because I was in Germany, there was a little bit less of a, um, less of a push uh, to do any preoperative radio uh, active therapy, whatever. So, so none of that going into it. Right. Yeah. We have the surgery. We come back and find out that we, we don't need to do anything post-op either. So that was a That's that was a, a huge win, right? Uh, so those toxins are we are able to avoid. But the problem with the lower colon is is that there's a number of things there that need to be there in order for us to function properly. And when you're missing it, your body doesn't work very well. So it was about a year of intense pain, and then about three total years of I'm not functional. So my wife was basically um, a single parent, even though I'm technically around I'm, I'm kind of three years trapped. oh yeah it was it was brutal I mean you know we try to go someplace and as soon as we got there I'd be in the bathroom for the you yeah. know for the for the bulk of the time that we were wherever couldn't travel anywhere couldn't take any jobs that I was offered because they all involve travel 
Um, so there was a certain feeling of, oh my gosh, panic. Yeah. Like, what can you do with this? So health-wise, you know, you're okay, generally speaking. But functionally speaking, you're not okay. One of the best things about all of that was having the empathy to recognize what it is that so many people are dealing with. And I mean, it's just outwardly. We're right. smiling. You know, you're looking good, Brett. Right. You, you know, sophisticated kind of a person. Um, I have no idea what it is that you're dealing with. Um, but oftentimes the shell prevents us from understanding that yeah. there's a lot of complexity there. And as a guy that had been in tip-top shape throughout the course of my, my military right. career from the Air Force Academy onwards, this was kind of a... I mean, it sounds sad, but a bit of a revelation for me and, uh, and actually a wonderful period of growth for yours truly and for our family. Yeah. So how, how was that dark times? I assume there was a lot of you're laying in bed mentally just taxing dark mm-hmm. times. Right? Mm-hmm. And how do you think ultimately, because obviously you're sitting here today, you got through that and are able to make the impact you're making today? Yeah. So this is where, uh, and my wife and I talk about this regularly because we, we're all, we're still, you know, we're still coming out of this. We had the five-year anniversary on March 13th, the day that the book was formally released, which is obviously a big deal, a big deal a big right? Deal. Yep. Um, and it was probably harder for her in all of this because she got to watch, but she couldn't do any, I mean, she, yeah, she couldn't absorb it, right? any of the pain. Yeah. She couldn't fix any of it. If, if we could have done this thing differently, I'm sure that she would have rather have had it so that I wouldn't have had it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the kind of... And vice versa, if she yep, would have had it, yeah. Yep, and I'm grateful that it was me and not her, right? Um, but here's where the background really paid off. And you asked me earlier on, you know, what was the story, what did you learn from, from being in combat? The training really, really works. You don't know how you're going to respond until things start to happen, but it's cool when everybody responds really, really well. Yeah. When this whole disruption took place, um, what I noted was was that my why had to change. No longer was I able to, you know, I swore the oath to defend this, the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, right? I had to figure out a new why, but it was instinctive to figure out what is that thing that will keep my eyes on the horizon, planted firmly out in front and not focusing on the day-to-day troubles, the challenges. Yep. I come from a culture, the fighter pilot culture is one that says, we're gonna win no matter what. And I actually prefer the odds to be stacked against me. Why? Because the story just got better. So if that's the culture that you're used to playing in, well then nothing changes just because you've taken your uniform off. Right. You're still whoever, right? In my case, I was, I, I'm still a fighter pilot. Right. I just don't fly right now. I might even get back to it someday. Um, tied to that is, in aviation, you're always anticipating that the plan's gonna fall apart. No plan survives first contact with the enemy, we say. So if you're always thinking about contingencies and you're maintaining your cool when things happen to you, why does that stop just in the work environment? What I found is that it doesn't. It applies at home as well. So when everything started to fall apart, I go, okay, which parts of me are still functional? How do we harness those? (laughs) Because we're always gonna win to achieve the grand vision, the big why, and, and off we go. And then that cool under composure or keeping your composure when things are, are a little bit less than awesome. Um, leaders lead in many ways. One of the ways that, that I've been blessed to serve under great leaders is, is that as, as things are happening, you know, they're, 
they're the they're the source of calm, right? If if the mission's really hairy, if things are tough, their voice on the radio is calm and relatively relaxed, which kind of soothes everybody else, right? right? My family. You don't need anybody freaking out in your head. Oh gosh, no, 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 no. And I mean, it can happen, and it does. Don't get me wrong, but but it's the leaders that usually aren't that way. And so, with my case, I looked at my family. We mentioned my wife. You know, she gave birth right after my first surgery. And I know I knew. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but in her mind, obviously, I'm assuming both of you probably went to the to the the bad thought, right? Oh yeah. And now here I am with four children. That's right. Bad things go through the mind. Oh, yes. Yeah. In a huge way, you know, so I'm still hanging in and we go, okay, it's, it's important for us to maintain our composure yeah. because the kids are watching all this stuff yeah. and they're paying attention to how this, how this is going down. So that's a small way of saying there was so much good that came from the entirety of the experience yeah. and we didn't know that it would be that way until we went through it. So you didn't, yeah, because I don't think you know when you're ready again. Because one of my questions I even had was, all the training, all the preparation you put in, I'm assuming not every mission went as planned. Nope. Uh, so can you tell us maybe even stuff you can share, maybe stuff you can't share if you can talk around it. But the, the time when you're in the fighter pilot and it's you, and I'm assuming you got somebody right behind you, and, or so just you, you're, you're in the pilot, you're the pilot by yourself. By yourself. You're getting shot at, you're getting whatever. The things that went south, and how did your preparation and training battle get you through that? So, you know, our sequence is, before we ever set foot in the airplane for a given mission, we spend some time planning for it. And in the planning, we've considered everything from, you know, what's the weather going to be like to how would we defeat ourselves? We red team our plans, meaning we, okay. we, we try to, to defeat them, and then okay. we figure out where do we buy risk, how do we mitigate it, you know, what are the contingencies we need to think about that we haven't yet. So we spent a little bit of time you know, figuring things out. We always make sure that we communicate the plan to the rest of the team and the team of teams so that we're all on the same sheet of music. And it's a great, it's a great approach to life. Well, I'm, and I'm, again, I apologize for interrupting, but I'm fascinated by that because if I go to the boardroom and I've got this big meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Cause maybe you know, not everybody listening is, you know, a fighter pilot. Right. So, but I'm in a boardroom and how many people just sometimes show up and wing it? Yeah. Right? Or how many people on an interview just show up and wing it, yeah. right? You, you can't do that. No. You got to show up. You said your team and your team of teams has mm-hmm. to know because that's the most important thing to when you go in and execute. There is nothing that we're talking about today that isn't 100% applicable in a boardroom, right. in a family setting, spirituality, health and wellness, you name it. It all cross applies. Oftentimes we create artificial distinctions and we say, all right, this stuff is my work stuff, this stuff yeah. is my home stuff, or whatever, and that's unfortunate because if it's winning for us here, ought it not also to win for us yeah. here? Uh, so, but the, the core of all of this is, I'm with you. You plan for success, yeah. and you plan well enough to anticipate the possibilities that may erupt in the midst of your execution so that you can easily adapt on the fly, all right? Part of what allows us to do this so well is a thing called commander's intent. If you understand commander's intent, like what is the definition of success? Well, then when the plan goes to heck, Mm -hmm. it's all right because you can still, you understand where you're going. Your eyes are still on the horizon. And so you're going to adapt regardless of the disturbances that are taking place. That communication piece that we do before the missions, it helps us to, to ensure that we're all on the same, same wavelength. This is Brett Gilliland with Circuit of Success. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. How important is visualization in your it's mind? It's huge. And it's so even, huge. even so, take the fighter pilot stuff, but just anything in our lives. How important is it to sit down? You're quiet. Maybe it's you in a notebook, and you're just visualizing everything that you can possibly think about that can happen. If you look at human performance, the data says that by visualizing, we arm ourselves to achieve the success that we're looking to do. Hmm. I mean, you can you can train your brain to be that much better prepared and equipped to do whatever just by visualizing it. And so why not do it? In fighter aviation, we do it all the time. We pre-visualize all the key missions. We learn those basic tenets in pilot training, and then we never stop it. And it's so, it's so good. It's such a great way to do it. My, my, uh, my second son, Christopher, he's really into baseball. Um, He was concerned here recently at the beginning of the season about getting hit. All right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, because now the pitchers, he's, so he's just turning 11. The oh, pitchers yeah. are starting to throw a little harder. They're throwing right? harder. They're kind of wild. They haven't kind of, you know, <laughs> doubted exactly. it yet. And, and folks are getting clunked all the time. Yeah. I'm like, all right, okay. So how about we visualize how we're going to deal with that? We visualize the, the clunk, how we're going to rebound from that. Let's visualize how to get out of the way of the ball. Let's spend a lot of time visualizing this so that it's, a, it's okay. We're calm when it takes right. place. That little guy's been out there doing it, and he's, he's leading off, and yeah. he's rocking it. Well, it's fun. I'm, I'm smiling big on that one because I, so I have four boys and, and so th- uh, three of them are in the baseball mode of pitchers coming at them, right? And so we talked about that the other day and so I'm teaching them the bat flip. You get hit, just act like you love it and throw that bat to the side. Mm-hmm. My oldest one, he claps his hands and he gets, he gets his team all fired up awesome. and I'm like, I wish I was that kid because when I was a kid, I was like, I was scared to death to get hit. Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. But, uh, so that's funny. I know exactly where you're, <laughs> where you're going with. So, um, Talk about the so the success you've had. Did you, as a child growing up, I've got a buddy. We'll drop his name here, Eddie Emanuele, and and that guy. He's a he was a pilot in the Air Force. He's now uh, with one of the major airlines, and that guy loves flying. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm, I'm sensing that already about you. You have a passion for it. So, did you grow up with that? And I guess my ultimate question is: Did you envision this success that you had, or are you more? <clears throat> I don't want to say shocked, but are you kind of surprised by it? Yeah. Great questions. No, I didn't grow up with it, but I grew up around it. So my dad was, um, my dad is uh, a proud St. Louis, born and raised here in St. Louis, uh, wanted to fly, eyes were bad, so he was an intelligence officer. Bronze star winner in Vietnam as an intelligence wow. officer, and then became a JAG, all right? So he was a judge advocate general, eventually a federal prosecutor, uh, passed away in 2010. Um, because of his service, I was always around the Air Force. And about the time the Top Gun came out, we were at Spang <laughs> Air Base in Germany, at, which is a fighter base. And so I watched Top Gun uh, with a bunch of fighter pilots, and that settled it for me. Like, I need, Done. I've got <laughs> to do this. I was a competitive guy up until that point, but in a completely different domain. Yeah. I played music. And hmm. if I didn't win the talent show, if I wasn't the all-state musician, if I was, for whatever reason, that bugged me. All right, so I really I I trained I'm hard. Assuming some of that came from your dad, and mom, maybe. You know, I think so. I think so, but it, but 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 it was not overt. All right, it wasn't like, hey, you need to. It was more like, yeah. you know, we succeed. I saw that. I witnessed it as it was happening, and then I applied it to myself. Yeah. Uh, but a lot the take, of leading by example, right? Oh, big time leading by example. Yeah. And I respected the hell, heck out of my parents. Yeah. Right. So, so coming up, I always knew that that 
that I wanted to succeed at whatever. When I decided that the domain that I wanted to succeed in was fighter aviation, then it was just applying that same mindset to the new domain. Started flying when I was at the Air Force Academy for the first time, and it went great. A lot of people find themselves in positions for a variety of different reasons where they aren't where they ought to be. I was blessed in that I found, through some degree of, of good fortune, luck, blessing, where it was that I was supposed to be. And then I had just unleashed on it yeah. and, and st- sought to be my best. So what advice would you have for the people listening now or watching that, that maybe, so you didn't get the, the dealt, you didn't get dealt the hand that you wanted, right? You, you'd prefer to probably still be up in the, up in the skies and doing some stuff and fighting, right? But how do you take that? And again, instead of poor me and I'm going to sit in the fetal position at home and I got this cancer and I can't do what I want to do. And it's just, again, poor me, poor me, poor me, right? What advice do you have for them when, when they didn't get the cards they were dealt, they, they didn't get them dealt that they wanted, but how do you overcome that and then do what you're doing now? Now you're writing books. Mm-hmm. Now you're helping businesses all over the country. Now mm-hmm. you're X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. You're speaking. What advice do you have for that? So the need for resilience is constantly there. I happened to get cancer when I was 40. All right, got it. Does it mean that I've now, you know, I, I have no need to be resilient ever again because right. I've just, no, I have no idea what the future holds. Yep. So all I can do is, is, is deal with the cards that I've got and do the best that I can with it. And that's just the nature of human existence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I, when I was at the academy, I wanted to be a member of the Wings Blue Parachute team. I made the team. I, I was picked for the team. Everything was great. Um, I ended up having a very bad cold at the wrong time. And because of that, I was cut from the team. We couldn't go down. I couldn't do the altitude chamber. If you remember from uh, an officer and a gentleman, oh yeah, the folks going to the altitude yeah. chamber. So they had, they had one chamber ride scheduled before we did our first high altitude jump. They couldn't reschedule it. They weren't going to reschedule the jump. I was kicked off the team for that. That was pretty disruptive uh, because it was very competitive to try and get a pilot slot. Yeah. I could have sat there and gone, well, you know, woe is me. Well, no, you, you actively figure out now another way to win. So it comes back to what is your why? If your why is something as simple as, well, you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to do well in this job. That's probably not sufficient because you don't know that the job's going to be there next year. You don't know that somebody else isn't going to supplant you and be, but you don't know what's going to happen. It's got to be something a little more foundational than that. So used to be defend the nation actively, like tactically by being out there and doing it. Well, when that wasn't an option any longer, I just said, okay, how do I achieve that from another angle? Now, if I can help an organization to be financially successful and to survive the inevitable disruption, the marketplace, whatever, well, then we can continue to have a strong enough economy to be able to afford the defense that we need and that, that serves the purpose. So it's just kind of reorienting yourself to what, are, what do you have left? Um, and, and where did this kind of come about? You know, like the last time that I crossed an ocean was the Pacific in the F-22. Tiny cockpit, one person, you're strapped into this ejection seat. Out of Honolulu into Okinawa, Japan, it was about nine hours and 15 minutes of just the flight time. And you're in the airplane a long time before you take off by yourself. And I think it was like 19 air refuelings to get across the pond. 19. 19 air refuelings. Now, that that part in and of itself is its own dynamic, right? But well before we ever took off, we thought about what happens if you lose an engine. We were blessed to have two engines in the Raptor. What happens if you have complete hydraulic failure? What happens if you have electronic failure? Whatever. What, what happens? Because there's not a lot of places to land in the middle yeah. of the Pacific Ocean. So, so you, you have to, when the, when the disruption hits, you have to be able to go, okay, got it. Take maybe a minute to just be angry about it. 
you're always going forward when you're flying. There's yeah. no pause button. Right. So if you're wasting time going forward in the wrong direction when it no longer makes sense, then you may not make it to where you need to go. And so you take that and cross-apply that kind of mindset to, to this, you know, in my family. Got it. Something bad happened. Understood. We're going to take a moment to accept that, to deal with it, to let the emotions go, and then we're going to redirect right. because we're going, to, we're going to find a new destination to land so that we, you know, we achieve like success. That. Yeah. So you got a problem, you got to find the solution pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I call it the bounce back theory that the fastest or the most successful people I've seen, they bounce back like that from defeat or bad news or whatever it may be. It's the people that go home and you know, ruins their weekend and ruins their week and all that kind of stuff. You, you got to be able to bounce back quicker. So talk to, talk to me about the uh, what you call the debriefed focused approach. Yeah. So um, in this in this notion that you know, you, we're always seeking to improve. We're always trying to get better. Fighter aviators, we know in order to be up here, you've got to start somewhere. And it's yep. very easy. All of us start at like a very, very low entry point. It's a very complex environment, very difficult to become really good at it. So you look at those that are up here and you go, I want to be that someday. And you don't just flip a switch. You don't say, all right, Brett, give me the five you know, golden right. statements and then tomorrow you're that. It takes time. It takes years. Right. Some people never get to that level. You know, they may top out over here. That's awesome because already here, this is amazing. And actually, I'd argue that just entering is pretty cool. Um, But the only way that you can get up over here is to constantly be assessing, how are we? How are we doing? Where are we in this evolution process? We're kind of coaching ourselves to, to success. So we end every single mission the same way. We go straight into a debrief. We don't, we don't go home and think about it. We, right. we don't take some time off to kind of like let the emotions cool down. We go straight in and we debrief. And there, and this is probably most important for your business audience, Brett, we figure out why did we succeed? Hmm. Why did we win? If we don't know why we won, we're making an assumption, which is always dangerous, that we're going to be able to continue to do so. In our case, we go back and say, all right, we won because of this. And if this isn't us doing things great, then we need to go back and, and fix some things. Right. Because if we win off of luck, that's not going to win this war. The flip side of that is what happens if we didn't win. I mean, the natural assumption, I think, in our society is we didn't win, well, then we screwed something up. Not necessarily, especially in a complex domain. It may be that we did everything right. We just got really unlucky. So I've passed people, when I was an instructor, I passed people on rides where we didn't achieve our objectives because they made outstanding decisions and we got unlucky. And I've, I've failed people on rides where we achieved the objectives, but it wasn't because of, of how good we were. Yep. So the debrief is where we coach ourselves to success. It's not a critical thing. It's not a place where people are like, oh, no, oh, we got to go debrief. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, we just finished a one-hour mission. Let's go back in and get everything that we can from this because all of us really want to succeed. And we feed those outcomes individually into how it is that we're going to go forward and then collectively into how it is as a team we build a high performing team so we take the outcomes from there we memorialize we write them down we change sops as necessary and go back in and we plan better the next time we brief better the next time we execute Hmm. better the next time and we go right back in and debrief it's a constant cycle yeah and that's why a lot of you got a lot of military buddies just because where we live obviously Mm -hmm. the air force base over here but uh, the one thing i pick up on them is the clarity of the goal is in the military, in my opinion, now obviously we're dealing with life and death here. And, and so I think if we as business people can learn something, if I go you know, down the hall to the, to the uh, 
boardroom, it's probably not life and death, right? Right. But your situation was, but we got to learn about this debriefing stuff. We've got to learn clarity of goals, huge. And then what you just said, I love is that you learn from it and then you do it better the next time, Mm -hmm. the planning and the debriefing, and you're just constantly getting better. Right. And you're celebrating success along the way. I mean, it's, you know, I've been in organizations where, you know, there's the weekly, Hey, you know, congrats, Brett on being a good guy. Yay. Brett's a good guy. And And when that's, when that's the rhythm, we're just doing it for the sake of doing it almost, yeah. it becomes very artificial. If we can go into a, into a process following a proven methodology that says, all right, Brett, let's figure out why you won today. And we validate that you won because of the great work that you're yep. doing. Now we have a reason to celebrate it. And at the outcome of a good debrief, we can go, dude, Brett, you're a freaking rock star. Yeah. Let's keep this up. I mean, you're the guy that's going to become, you know, our eventual CEO because of right. all the great things that you're doing. Yes. Amen. Keep it up. And now not only are you clear that you're doing the right things because we've substantiated it, but you're also getting the kudos that may have been artificial previously, or maybe were completely lacking on a regular sustained basis. Yep. And that's, that's a that's pretty huge. empowering yeah. type. And I think type also deal. leaders, we got to see people, in the future before they see themselves there. Oh, right? yes. So now you just said as that future CEO, mm-hmm. you've now planted a vision in my head that I may not even thought about. Amen. Right. And, and really that's the nice thing about the military forces this upon us because our time span is so short. I know that I'm only going to be the CEO of my organization for a maximum of 24 months. That's all true. right. Yeah. So I've always got to be looking towards who's going to be replacing me. Yep. We've got such disruption in our personnel system where we're always hmm. sending people away, bringing new people in. So if you've got a really high performing team, you may have a six month window on that before your key player is going to be taken and moved to some other part of the globe. And the new person that replaces her is going to be brand spanking new out of training. And you've got to find a way to, yeah. to decrease that Delta as quickly as possible to get the performance where it needs to be. Got it. So talk to us about now your habits and rituals uh, you know, today, but also as you were climbing the ranks in the military, what were those no miss moments for, uh, for Cujo? You know, when everybody else was out, um, especially early on, when they were out enjoying where it was we were, I came up, my first assignment was at Eglin Air Force Base in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Yeah. Great place to be, yeah. especially in the summertime. Um, I had my eyes centered on being the best that I could possibly be, and so I wanted to go to the Air Force version of Top Gun. So when people were out at the beach during the week, I wasn't. I was in studying, and I was in preparing I was basically in an intense training program, yeah. self-inflicted, on top of what it was that the squadron demanded of me. And I stayed there until I was satisfied that, um, that I was where I had to be, which basically meant I stayed there until I got accepted to, to the <laughs> fighter weapons school. And then that kind of that perpetuated itself throughout. Um, so is that a no-miss moment? No. Is that a no-miss way of kind of behaving? Yes. And that's, that was a huge chunk of what got me to where it was. In a very competitive environment, everybody there wants to be right. number one. Uh, that's kind of the nature of it. You know, yeah. we're all shooting for that trophy there at the end of the, of the course. Okay. Um, and so you had, to, you had to work harder. You had to be more dedicated, more disciplined about it all than everybody else if you wanted to truly achieve that. So. This is Brett Gilliland with Circuit of Success. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilloway and your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. You mentioned leadership earlier. Can you uh, talk about maybe one of the best leaders that you worked under and, and what did you learn from that person? Yeah. Stuart Nichols, um, squadron commander of the 27th Fighter Squadron, uh, outstanding leader of men and women. Uh, and what I learned under him was you can be you can stay true to your character. You don't have to suddenly, because you're now the leader, become somebody else. You can still be yourself and command everybody's respect. Yep. He would. He had no problems calling me out, and he did. I was his chief instructor. He would call me out, like, what the, you yeah. know, are you doing? Uh, we'd have frank conversations. Uh, he was also one of the most caring people. He prioritized faith, family, and the squadron but there was a very small distinction between those th- because they were all blended together. Hmm. And our squadron was outstanding. I mean, we were a true, we were a true family. Yep. It was, when people left, we were very, very sad. When, when I left, it was one of the downing moments, and I was about to go off and instruct at the Fighter Weapons yeah. School. Like, it was an amazing time in my life, but I was sad to leave that place. Bear with me here, and let's play a little game. And so if you could trade places with anybody, dead or alive, uh, who would that person be and why? <clears throat> Well, I'd probably, for the sake of the town, have to pick somebody that didn't spend too much time on, uh, on the roster, but I would love to be wearing the birds on a bat in some capacity. Why? Well, you know, here in St. Louis, oh, St. Louis Cardinals incredible. are a bit of a, it's, I mean, it's like a religious experience, right? <laughs> exactly. And um, to be privileged enough to be part of that team for even a very short period of time would be one of the things that, you know, I, you can't put a price tag yeah. on it. It's, just, it's indescribable. Um, and so I, <laughs> another version of me would yeah. have loved to have had that opportunity. I was, we, we, we would always come back, no matter where we were on the planet, in fact, we were season ticket holders from 06 to 11. We, oh, lived in, wow. we lived in Greece for two of those years, for crying out loud, okay? Why? Just, just because. Anyway. You can do it. Because right? we could do it. So, yeah. so we were coming back for a home opener one year, and we were going up the ramps, and uh, this golf cart screaming down, going way too fast. And like I had to pull one of my kids out of the way <laughs> to avoid getting hit by it. Okay? And I was angry. Right. And as this thing zipping by, and I was about to yell something special at yeah. whomever, <laughs> I realized in that, in that cart, were Whitey Herzog, Tommy Herr, and I think Ozzie Smith. Wow. And at that point, my attitude totally shifted. I'm like, if you're going to get run over by a golf cart, that's, that's the one. Exactly. <laughs> I'll gladly let one of my kids or myself oh, get yeah. run over uh, by yeah. that golf cart. Totally okay with yeah. that, you know? Yeah, that will be experience because your kids would have a lot of autographs yep. and a lot of stuff. Right? I think at that point we might even be accepted into the family. Yeah, I even give you a red jacket. You never know. You never know. So um, how about exercise, meditation? We've talked about thinking, but exercise, meditation, how, what role did that play in your upbringing, but also then now, today? So I wasn't an exercise guy. The Air Force Academy forced me to become yep. one. On active duty, I did what needed to be done, um, and it was I was privileged to be in, a, in an environment where every day was a physical exertion of yep. tremendous proportion. I mean, you were fighting, you're, you're pulling nine times the force of gravity. And, uh, and it's, it, it's interesting because one of the effects of that is blood rushes out of your brain when you pull back on the stick and you're fighting against the force of gravity. And so you, you tend to, to gray out and then black out if you don't do anything to combat that. Yeah. So then we've got techniques we use to be able to stay awake while we're doing this. And you're constantly turning. All right. You're constantly pulling 
in that right. in that kind of an environment. I'm getting anxiety <laughs> just setting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now looking back, I don't know how we did it. But yeah, exactly. Any, but um, so with that, we found that you can almost be too fit. Like if if you if you're if you're a long distance runner, for example, yeah. it's actually not good for that environment. So you have to find kind of the sweet spot. And, you know, there's a combination of, of being aerobically fit to maintain the stamina under that kind of pressure. Yeah. But then also, you know, having, having enough, having enough of a resistance in, in the bloodstream to prevent an automatic G-induced yeah. loss of con- consciousness. So anyway, it's, it's an interesting dynamic there. Now, given the toll that that kind of an experience had on my body, it's mostly swimming, yeah, okay. uh, which is a great sport for all kinds of different reasons, and it's least amount of impact on a, yep. on a neck and a back that's suffering the consequences of, uh, of fighter aviation. So talk to us about the book. Yeah. Right here, we've got the uh, debrief to win, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was that process? And I gotta say, Michael Gerber wrote the uh, for the guy. If you've ever read E Myth series, uh, phenomenal book. We were talking about before we recorded. I uh, would love to get him on the show. Uh, but he wrote the foreword for this. But talk to us about the book. What was that process like? And uh, what do you hope if somebody picks this up today, what do they get from it? Yeah. So the process was actually really fulfilling. I mean, part of what it is that I'm interested in now is not only doing the work that I'm doing on a daily basis, but leaving a bit of a legacy and, and, and Michael's in the same kind of, kind of wavelength. So I'm following him in a, in a distant formation over here, but because we know that this works, the, the process of debriefing goes back to 1917 for us on the allied side, world war one, the Germans were the first to do pre-mission briefings and post-mission debriefings. They dominated the skies while they did that. Once we figured it out, you know, we kind of took over and, and that's been the case yeah. now for decades. So we know that this works. Capturing this in a way that anybody can apply it was important to me. And so writing this book was, I mean, it was labor of love. It was easy to do um, because it, it's what I taught. Right. It's what it is that I lived and it applies in so many different areas. So it led with the, you know, the business kind of setting, but don't think for one second that this ought not to be cross applied to any domain of life. This is the third of three books. Third of three books. The, the second one's called Team to Succeed, How to Build a High-Performing Team. And the first one is um, Lead by Serving. I wrote this one first because this is the, <laughs> this is the, the one that had to, it had to come out now. Sure. All right? um, and Gerber, Michael Gerber, has been such a wonderful support in this whole process. He, ad, he advocated me. Um, he was, a, he was um, promoting me to his uh, publishers, um, doing amazing stuff, it's giving me cool. off. And the first version of this book had the cancer story in it, and, and he read it and he said, get rid of it. Get rid of the cancer hmm. story from this version of this book. So I rewrote it based upon his advice. Well, wow. and were you a writer before at all? I mean, did you grow up writing and enjoy writing? No, I mean, I've always written pretty well, you know, I mean, yeah. but, but we're talking like formal papers and those kinds of sure. things. Didn't, didn't do much writing besides this. So this is something where if I were to choose where I'd spend the preponderance of my time um, outside of family and faith, it would be writing books and teaching. Yep. And that's what my company's kind of about. How did your, kind of in closing here, how did your faith play into um, your battle with cancer and also your per, uh, professional life? And I was, um, uh, you go back to the beginning and I was so blessed to have parents that raised me um, with a strong, firm faith, a belief in God Almighty and the implications of that in the way that we live our lives, um, such that when everything kind of went went south and especially in the most painful phases. I mean, right out of yeah. the surgeries the, you know, the, the pain was, was tremendous. Um, I routinely would come back and reflect on how blessed I was to have a faith. I think in mm-hmm. its absence, 
um, it would have been very difficult to continue on in some of those days. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it was a foundation. And the beauty of it is, was watching my family's faith grow in the midst of all of this disruption. Sometimes you go, well, this, I've been praying for this to go away. And it's not, okay, that's not the point. God's going to answer us in his way and his timeline, however it's best for us. And therein is our faith. Yep. All right. So um, we haven't talked much about that, but that has underpinned everything all the way through. And I thank my family, my parents, for, for, for gifting me that as a young boy. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. So uh, if I'm a you know, person, whether I'm a you know, part of a church or a school or a business, and I want a guy like you to come in and, and speak, you're doing that stuff now. Where do our listeners find more of you? So if you go to robertteschner.com, R-O-B-E-R-T-T-E-S-C-H-N-E-R.com, you'll find all the information on what it is that I do, how to get in touch with me, and we'll respond to you asaply. Uh, the other side of that is vmaxgroupllc.com. That's the formal training side, V-M-A-X-G-R-O-U-P-L-L-C.com. And you can see a little bit more about, about who I am and what I do. Thanks for listening to The Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and each and every single week, we're going to bring you a great guest, whether that's a, a business leader, a professional sports star, an author, whatever it is, we're going to bring you as much as we possibly can to help you live your best life. And so we look forward to bringing that to you every single week. If you want more on our firm, Visionary Wealth Advisors, check us out online at visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can also find the show's website at circuitofsuccess.com. We'll be back next week with another great guest on the Circuit of Success. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.